it, it's just become a uh, an institution now where folks in the area, the local truckers, love to participate. Uh, they donate money for the Make-A-Wish. They like, of course, to show off their rigs, and the local people in the area enjoy walking around the trucks before they convoy and then being along the route as they all go by because it's not very often you get to see 650 trucks all shined up uh, in a row. I'm Todd Dillson. This is the Overdrive Radio Podcast, and today we'll get a clear window on the first uh, Make-A-Wish convoy from the perspective of former trucker George Wells. You heard his voice at the top talking about what's become a veritable phenomenon out of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, the annual Mother's Day convoy benefiting the Make-A-Wish Foundation. This year, the convoy featured 650 trucks in its 30th year, huge amount of growth over the course of three decades from the first one. I talked with Drew Ellens this week about his experience of that first such affair, which featured 42 trucks from local companies. He was driving for Ned Bard and Son at the time, and looks back fondly on the day and subsequent editions of the convoy, which have created so many memories for children involved, truckers too, no doubt, and members of the community in the area. He tells it all better than I, however. Here he is setting the stage for his participation that first year. Currently... Uh, my wife and I have been full-time in a motorhome for 17 years, and we like to tell people we have a small home but a big yard. We, <laughs> enjoy, tra- we enjoy traveling, and we've been very fortunate to be able to do that. But we back up many years in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I was just turning 21 years old. Uh, working for a poultry company, and they posted on the bulletin board an ad for a tractor-trailer driver for their in-house fleet. And some folks in the maintenance shop said I should put my name in for it, and I applied for that job. When they interviewed me, they asked me how much trucking experience I had, and I replied I never drove one, but I rode in one for three miles. They said... (laughs) They'd rather have somebody with no habits and bad habits. We'll let you ride along with other drivers for five weeks, and then we'll give you a truck. And that's exactly what happened. And I started off trucking, hauling live poultry in wooden coops that were tied down with ropes. And we had 522 coops on a load, and... I did that job for about 7,000 loads of live chickens, and then I transferred to another local trucking company that had flatbeds, vans, and taut liners, which are curtain-sided vans. And that's the company that I got involved with the Make-A-Wish convoy. Uh, In 1989, I had heard through some source that they were forming this convoy for Make-A-Wish, and I mentioned it to the owners of the company, and they agreed to get a tractor and trailer washed up, and they said that I was allowed to participate. I was a company driver, and that's how it all started, Todd. Yeah. Um, and and I think there were uh, 
think the, the way that the folks at Make-A-Wish tell the stories that uh, there were 42 trucks involved, does that does that sound right to you? And uh, and paint the scene there for me in, in terms of the, your participation in it. Well, I think 42 is getting pretty close, and that's certainly uh, very small compared to the last convoy they had on Mother's Day with 650 trucks. But we started it with 42 tractor trailers, all from different companies in the local area there. And we met at a place called the Lancaster Shopping Center, which barely fit our 40 semis and nowhere nearly would accommodate the 650 today and we all parked in there and lined up and of course folks were walking around the trucks and admiring them all shined up and at some point in time uh, Make-A-Wish had a few children that have health conditions and they had expressed a, a desire to ride in a tractor trailer so the good fortune was one of these young uh, boys was assigned to my Peterbilt tractor. And I can still remember, because of his health issues, adults helped place him up in the passenger seat of the conventional Peterbilt. Uh, my wife was along that day, so the only seat left for her was on the edge of the bunk facing forward. And, of course, I was in the driver's seat. The one fond memory I have, Todd, is we're getting ready to go out on a convoy trip and the desire of any young child is to blow the air horn. So we took a piece of cord and tied it onto the air horn and strung it across the cab over to where the young boy was sitting in the passenger seat. And for the next two and a half hours, he had complete control of the air horn and enjoyed that a lot, and I imagine the air horn needed rebuilt when we were done with that trip. <laughs> we we all pulled out of that shopping center, and uh, back 30 years ago, the convoy followed a different route. So anybody that's local or familiar with this Mother's Day tradition knows where they go today, but that first trip went up Highway 283 towards Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We got off up at High Spire and then came back the uh, two-lane road through the small towns, Highway 230, through Elizabethtown and Mount Joy and Landisville. But all along the route on the highway, the overpasses were lined with spectators all waving and coming through the small towns on the return trip. All the sidewalks were lined with people, all waving, and of course, the Make-A-Wish child in my truck just waving constantly for two and a half hours and then blowing that air horn repeatedly. A lot of good memories, Todd. What What was the um, <clears throat> what was the name of the company that you were uh, working for at the time? Uh, the The company with the truck that I was in uh, called Ned Bard and Son, and I believe that they are still in business today. You know, it's still, it, even at that, in that first, very first convoy, uh, uh, it sounds like it did bring out the, the community. Eh? They had announced to the community ahead of time, so that's where all the spectators came from. Um, I only drove in the first convoy, 
and actually got out of trucking shortly after that. But uh, for for quite a few years, when my children were small, we would go out near where they assemble and enjoy watching them all pull out for the convoy and waving at all the big shiny trucks. It's become quite a tradition in the Lancaster County, Pennsylvania area, and of course has grown to what they think is now uh, the world's largest truck convoy. Right, and there's other events around the around the nation that uh, do similar, uh, that similarly benefit Make Wish. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a pretty it's grown into like a, a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, it raises a lot of money for the Make a Wish organization and provides a lot of special experiences for young children that obviously um have not been blessed with good health you got out of trucking what what did you uh you i think you were probably in it uh for a good decade or so am i right about that just doing the doing the uh, back of the envelope uh, calculations here uh, a little more yeah, se- that, uh, seven t- uh, yeah i was in the truck for 17 years and then uh had a desire to do something else and actually climbed out of the Peterbilt after 17 years and went into the college classroom and got a degree and then started teaching fifth grade in a public school. And that's quite a change from a Peterbilt to having 29 10-year-olds staring at you all day long, but that was a great experience (laughs) also. Uh, A lot of factors came together, Todd, that convinced my wife and I that life is short. And after nine years of teaching, uh, I quit my job. My wife quit her job. We sold the house, and that's when we started RVing. My wife was 45. I was 47 years old. And people wonder how you can do that, but... We enjoyed working a little bit on the road and then parking somewhere without hookups where there's no costs and just enjoying life, working a little and playing a lot. And that's what we did for the first 12 years on the road. And now these last five years, we feel that we've been so blessed that we volunteer here in Southern California in the winter. And in the summer, we travel to the Pacific Northwest and we volunteer in Oregon State Parks trying to give back a little bit. Yeah, you were telling me I think that you're uh you're getting ready to to make that trip up to uh, up to the northwest for the uh for the summer here pretty soon. That's correct and the state parks that we hang out in the summer in Oregon are right on the coast. And most days, the temperature doesn't exceed 65 degrees, so we've been become quite spoiled enjoying the microclimates out west. And uh, you, you've kept up your uh, uh, your commercial driver's license all these years, too, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And um, for these years, while we've been motorhoming and RVing and obviously trying to make some money, I've used my CDL and... A variety of ways I've transported folks to whitewater rafting trips, 
on the Snake River in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I drove a mobile classroom around the state of Pennsylvania for a cyber school. Uh, multiple times I hauled on the harvest in North Dakota and Wyoming uh, for sugar beets and corn and soybeans and things like that. Uh, enjoyed finding opportunities to use my CDL for say three to six weeks at a time and then park the truck and go have fun. Ruelans also reflected on his origins further in trucking, including a story about the Dodge cab over he started in hauling live poultry. You know, when I was 21 years old, when I turned 21 and was working in maintenance, I had no idea that I was going to be a truck driver. Um, I always thought big trucks looked kind of neat going down the road, and when that posting occurred at the, the poultry company I was working at, and those guys encouraged me to uh, apply for it, I had no idea that I'd spend 17 years in a big truck. I certainly have no regrets. I indirectly met my wife through the truck, and uh, it was certainly meant to be. I've followed trucking even though I'm not directly involved. I get the overdrive emails every day and, and the overdrive magazine, and I try to stay in touch with the industry. And I realize what the men and women have today is much different than what we had back then. Uh, their rides are certainly much better as far as the trucks, but I think the conditions are much more demanding. Uh, I'll just leave you with this. My very first tractor after that five weeks of training had a 220 Cummins with a clogged fuel filter, and I actually came to hills that I couldn't get up in first gear, and I had to back off of and turn around and find a different route. They told me I was a kid and I didn't know how to shift it. Uh, when it idled, the turn signals would stop blinking and the radio would stop playing because it wasn't charging enough. And um, <laughs> th There was not a piece of vinyl anywhere inside the cab. Everything was metal, and uh, we were sure proud of that AM radio and that was hanging on the ceiling and the CB radio that was hanging on the ceiling that shook so bad going down the road you couldn't even see what channel the CB was turned to. But we were trucking and we enjoyed it. Um, fast forward to today, 650 drivers enjoy showing off their beautiful trucks, but making memories for young children that just haven't been blessed with good health. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that memory. That's... Uh... That that first truck of yours, wow. Um, what was it? What was the, uh, you remember the make and model? <laughs> if you can picture the ugliest, squarest, boxiest cab over ever made called by the company <laughs> Dodge. And oh, yeah, yeah. actually the, the fifth wheels were mounted on four by four blocks, which were then, you bolted down to the frame. The frame, I mean, the fifth wheel actually sat on top of a four by four wooden block, and uh, they were extremely ugly, extremely boxy, and uh, oh golly, so many memories of those things. But you know, when you were driving when it was cold, the hot air's blowing out at your right foot, it's sweating, and your left foot is so cold you can't move your left 
your toes on your left foot. And as I said, that first truck, I didn't know what to expect, but I literally got to hills. I could not get up. And uh, they just told me I was a kid. I didn't know how to shift it. And finally, one night, I I loaded a load of uh, live chickens that would normally take 45 minutes to get to the plant. I left the farm, never pulled the button up on the 10-speed Road Ranger, and it took me three and a half hours to do a trip that normally would take 45 minutes. And when I got into the plant, I told them I might be a kid, I might not know how to shift this thing, but it just doesn't have any power. And that's when they investigated it and found the clogged fuel filter on that mighty 220 Cummins. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> they yeah. gave me a truck they gave me a truck that night that had just been overhauled, a two hundred a two fifty Cummins Dodge cab over and I I took it out and it seemed like an indie racer to me after <laughs> what I had uh, just been driving. Love, love stories like that, uh, though I'm sure uh, experiencing it wasn't, uh, wasn't quite as fun as uh, hearing Big it. thanks to George for the memories. You can catch a variety of pictures from his history that he was kind enough to share with us via the Channel 19 blog posts associated with this podcast for May 24th, 2019. Visit overdriveonline.com slash channel19 to find it. Side note about him, he, when he and his wife make their soon-to-happen uh, soon trip from Southern California to the Pacific Northwest, you can find the pair at the Fort Stevens State Park in the northwest corner of Oregon, where they give tours and vintage military five-ton trucks at about 10 miles per hour. Big change from his trucking days, no doubt, but maybe not from the maiden voyage in that old Dodge cab over with its clogged fuel filter of a fashion. Thanks again, George, for the memories. Shifting gears a bit to congressional willingness to work, or not, on a highway bill. Seems like everybody's in, everybody in Washington's got other things on their minds. President Trump seems to have set an attempt at a trap for Democratic lawmakers when he hosted them at the White House earlier this week with the ostensible purpose of talking about a comprehensive infrastructure bill, or, of course, as we've traditionally known it around here, the highway bill package of spending priorities that serves to chart the course for maintaining and growing the transportation network. There's somewhat broad consensus that more needs to be done in that area given the condition of so many roads around the nation. I spoke to a couple new drivers new to trucking running for Small Fleet Old Time Express of Hartsville, Tennessee last week. On lanes typically up from Tennessee into Canada via Michigan and back, Tommy and Linda Bryant, also of Hartsville, Come to trucking uh, after came to trucking after founding and running a local cafe called the Early Bird for seven years. Now under the ownership of their 29-year-old son, both Tommy and Linda pointed uh, to a principal unforeseen challenge to their team drive operation when queried about it: the condition of the roads, putting a beating on the equipment and themselves. Bear witness to the thickness of the mattress they've put in the cascade of their piloting. Its three layers of memory foam form a cushion approaching two feet deep which I'm inclined to see as a clear marker of how far gone too many of our highways are. While Trump has his issues with congressional oversight coming mostly, uh, but not only, from the Democratic House in the wake of the Mueller investigation's report, which did walk right up to the line of a charge of obstruction in the views of many out there, it punted the issue to where in the Justice Department's view it belongs when it comes to holding a president accountable, or not. And that's via the will of the people's elected representatives in Congress, when 
Democratic lawmakers got to the White House to talk infrastructure the other day. That area of so much common ground between the two parties. The president abruptly called off the affair in its first minutes, moving then to deliver a diatribe for the benefit of reporters uh, sitting waiting in the wings. Against those ongoing investigations, of course. We could use better when it comes to honest dealing from our reps and leaders in Washington, Trump no doubt included, if we're ever to get to the infrastructure investment boost both parties seem to want. Before these latest highway bill developments, I talked with OOIDA board member and small fleet owner operator Monty Wiederhold last week a bit about uh, what the association is doing in that area, namely everything it can to fend off the push for more toll projects being available to states and private partners. We've written about the notion, too, for a vehicle miles traveled tax for road users as a replacement, basically, for the fuel tax. Uh, and that's what that's what Wiederhold means when he says VMT in the talk that follows. He starts here uh, mentioning association outreach to Oregon Democrat Peter DeFazio of the Transportation Infrastructure Committee uh, in the House. We've actually uh, sent a letter issues. to uh, DeFazio, the chairman of TNI, and that that we want to uh, we want to things that we'd like to see accomplished in the next highway bill when they get one. So. Uh, you know, talking about the infrastructure uh, funding and stuff, which we we feel like, yep. you know, obviously fuel taxes are the way to go because it's the most fair. It's not that we want to pay more, but, you know, Todd, it's, it's, it's going to be a much better way to do it than having toll roads. Toll roads, we've seen toll roads have nobody to answer to. You know, they can they can. I mean, you look at look at the look at the tolls on the George Washington Bridge or going in the New York City up there. They're over 100 bucks for a five axle truck. I mean, that, that's insane. Um, you know, the the money on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, the, the fees on that and stuff. So um, that is uh, obviously fuel taxes. Uh, and again, sometimes, I mean, that money can be misspent, but still it's it's the most fair, most equitable way. And look, if, if you're somebody that never drives a car, you, you don't have a car, but you order stuff from someplace online and have it shipped to you, you benefit by having a good infrastructure, you know. Yep. So you know, a lot of people think, well, gosh, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to pay, you know, more because whatever the reason is, um, you know, I'm just driving from here to work or whatever. So why do I care about, you know, the, this, that bridge or that, that highway or something. So, but everybody benefits from it. Um, and it's, and again, there's, there's no new bureaucracy that needs to be created and stuff. So, so that's, that's something big that they're, they're hoping to, uh, and DeFazio, the chairman, he's he's been somebody that kind of supports that fuel tax, uh, you know, uh, model for okay. funding the highways. I mean, there is some talk about VMTs. Um, right. Obviously, there's 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 issues with electric cars and stuff that you know that has to be has to be dealt with um, some way because these right. people are using the highways. And I'm not saying that you know I want to see those people you know forking over a ton of money, but I mean it. You know, let's keep it fair for everybody. So um, yeah. there's that going on. Wiederhold turned also to what else? The electronic logging device mandate and commentary, and commentary uh, from David Heller of the Truckload Carriers Association in a TCA webinar earlier in the year. I'm talking about how, but uh, how ELDs were never about safety; it was all about compliance. But at any rate, you know, it was it sounded was, a lot like um, uh, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Well, I mean, it, you know, because we knew. But but it was it what really what really makes me aggravated is you know that that uh, is that we have a few people 
that that realize this ELD thing is not making the highway safer, and it's not going to yeah. be. And look, I don't I don't know that they'll ever fix the the thing for livestock haulers or ag haulers. I mean, I I just don't see any way around that that they're going to you know say yeah well when a guy runs out of time he's got to unload the cattle or the hogs or the sheep or whatever it is, you know. There's a three day. There's about a three day supply in the food chain. You start screwing with that, you know, you're, you're going to have, you know, I mean, if if you just unload a load of cattle someplace and you got into uh, some sort of disease or something, this spreads around the country. You're you're looking at screwing with the food chain. So, I just don't know how they're ever going to fix that. Uh, but this thing with with David Heller, uh, going back to that, it, it just it just bums me out that there's still congressmen up there that are probably, you know, think they made the right vote. You know, and I remember uh, David Price, uh, who's now appropriate, uh, Appropriations Committee Chairman, talking about the fact that, you know, uh, on the House floor that night of the Babin Amendment, that they were talking about just putting it off for a couple of years and said, we, we've got to keep this, we've got to keep this uh, mandate because this is all about saving lives. You know, and so what, 2017, I think it was, Todd was one of the, or was it 2018, was one of the most deadly years for, for truckers out there. You know, and like I said again, the thing is, that hopefully, hopefully this and 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 for a single truck guy, and this is the other thing that goes back to, you know, the whole purpose of our conversation today, is that that guys out there with a single truck have had to invest in a device that doesn't make them any safer, it doesn't make them in any better than they than they were running on a paper log. You know, people can say that's antique and that's so 20th, you know, so 20th century or whatever, because or, we're in the 21st right. now, ain't we, or whatever. So, <laughs> you know, but but look, it's 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 a fact. It's the truth. I mean, we, we have, you know, and for Heller to make that comment about, well, it's all about compliance. Well, if it was, they, the big fleets already had compliance because they had all this stuff already, they already had it. The big right. fleets had the ELDs were running them since what? Most of them probably had them since 2008, 2009, or 10, somewhere along in there. So, so the biggest one fleets are all running these things, and they've got great compliance. They got lousy crash rates, you know, because it, it. And that, I mean, that right there, and that's that's some of the stuff we argued that the OIDA Foundation, some all the right. studies they done showed all that, you know, that there was there was no core no uh, corresponding evidence to show that an ELD was going to make you a safer, better driver, you know. And and on the other hand, an ELD doesn't make you. You know, because you hear guys saying, "Well, the thing's forcing me to drive when I'm tired." Well, yeah, so to speak. But but you're the one that's driving that truck, and if you're tired, you just got to pull over and take a break, take a, a stop or whatever. And, and I know that's going to affect that's going to affect people's bottom lines. But that's what I'm saying is that you know we've seen this thing. Guys got the ELDs put in the trucks. The mandate goes in. The rates go up, and everybody's like, "Well, okay, yeah, I'm missing the load here or there," but then the load I'm hauling's making up for that. And then, so now we're in a situation where we've got too many trucks and we've got guys, you know, not being able to hook up with the loads like they were. And so now what? Right. They've got the same payments they had plus this monitoring fee of the ELD and plus the cost to buy one. And, and right. you know, we've had some of our some of our members that, you know, they, they had, the, who was the one outfit that went out of business? Uh, Zed, I think, was one of them that, that, that folded up. And yeah. there's been some other ones. There was... Uh, was it not big rig, but uh, there was another one that that was pretty good. One twenty, one twenty. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, but so we've seen these ones, and so we people went out and bought this stuff, and then they fold up, and so then okay, they're left with that one. They got to go buy another one. 
So it's not just a one-off. And you you know, just like with, with phones and computers and softwares and stuff, there's constantly updates and things that you're going to have to buy. You know, the environment in the truck where, uh, you know, electronics are not real good about extreme cold or extreme heat. You know, so yep. if, if you park you park your truck over the weekend and it's 100 degrees in the sun or whatever, or if it's 10 below zero, stuff doesn't, you know, electronics don't to- don't tolerate that stuff real well. Right. And and the other thing is, is that, you know, everybody said, oh, it's going to be so much easier. Well, I mean, just like I was talking about Tilden, my buddy a while ago. In order for him to get started with his day or to put his stuff in there, he's got to go to several different screens, like enter his bill lading numbers, go back to another screen for this. Yep. You know, he said, now, maybe if I had bought, like, if you buy the Cadillac of the ELDs, which is probably the Qualcomm, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to advertise for them, but... That's that's all the fleets have that, and that's as far as I know the latest and greatest deal. And, and these company drivers all rave about it, you know. So I'm guessing that's the king of the road, if you want to say. Yeah, that would be great. It, you know, you just you know push this button or whatever or something. That 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 is easier. But the ones that that if you're trying to save a buck because you're operating on a budget, you don't have you don't you know you're not part of a multi-million dollar company that you can buy this stuff at a discounted rate. Um, you uh, you have you know those types of issues there where like when I go to fill my log out and stuff and I put down my bill of lading number write it down there and stuff and I get started in the day I draw my line and I go you know I don't have to wait yep. for something to boot up I don't have to go to this screen go back to this screen so there's there's nothing yeah. about this mandate that was that made it any better I'm, I'm sorry there's just nothing that there's all kinds of guys say, oh, well, yeah, but you can't overdrive your time. Well, I haven't seen a machine yet that would make you quit driving. So, so I mean, if a guy wanted to go over, he could go over as far as it goes. But it, it's made everything else, the ELD mandate has made everything else, like the parking issues that we've had, that's all way worse because of the mandate. You know, maybe maybe with this hours of service, we get this fix in there, because I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. The only one that I've heard that I've seen was that they think the 30-minute rule is going to go to eight hour after eight hours of driving instead of eight hours on duty. Uh, but, I mean, as far as the parking, and I got dinged on that the other night. I went, when I went to Florida, I, I stopped down at, at Tifton, Georgia, and there was two truck stops. There was a Pilot and a Love. So both of them places were jammed up. I was able to get back on the highway, and I was able to drive about 10 miles. There was a rest area down there that I was able to find parking in. So... Um, but this this parking situation yeah. is way worse, and you know we have the not in my backyard stuff that people nobody right. nobody wants to put you know expand a rest area, expand a truck stop. You know we've seen that. So speaking of the parking issue, we're gearing up with planning around the Great American Trucking Show upcoming in Dallas with some opportunity for owner operators with experience parking along Texas lanes to contribute to the discussion with the state DOT about particular parking needs. If you've got first-hand intelligence about areas there where the parking need is greatest. You're willing to share your experience and you'll be at GATS. Drop a message on our podcast voicemail line, 530-408-6423. Until next time, stay proactive.